Welcome to Down the Wormhole. My name is Joshua Weinberg. I'm Zachary Miller. And today, again, we're joined by Michael Bertinsky. Hi, thank you very much for uh, having me as your guest. And today's college pro tip of the day comes from an anonymous source on the internet. Always sleep more than you study, study more than you party, and party as much as humanly possible. I mean, sure. Words to live by. Indeed. All right. Today's topic is battleships. Just and straight out the gate, we're gonna we're gonna let uh, our good friend Mike here take us away, and I'm gonna keep interrupting Zach. Yeah, screw you. Uh, and I will keep interrupting them both. Yep. Yeah, this this as really, we know, this really is Mike's area of expertise. So please, Mike, take it away. Yes. Yeah, so battleships are something that I. Uh, love to do research and read about and uh, I feel like it's one of the most interesting engineering topics um, because the development of battleships really saw um, a lot of innovation in places but to understand where we have come we need to know where where we're coming from now being in New Jersey I'm sure uh, I'm sure I know at least uh, Josh here has been to the USS New Jersey I have it's quite quite the thing to see it is it is magnificent. You know, the absolute epitome of battleship design. And Zach, you are not from New Jersey. No, so I am you, not. So you have not been. No, but I have been. I can't remember. What's the one in New York? You're talking about the, the aircraft carrier? The Intrepid? The Intrepid? I have. Okay, yeah, not battleship. I have been to the Intrepid. Yes. Another amazing museum. Also quite the sight to see. And I understand that you will be going to the New Jersey later this semester, correct? Well, along with all three of us, actually. Absolutely. So, the, the New Jersey is an Iowa-class battleship, and people who research military history have issues when they see such a beautiful ship. It is just magnificent. But we've come a long way. Issues. So we're going to go way back to the late 1800s. Oh boy, here we go. So Commence whoosh is, sound. Should we have a whoosh? Put a whoosh in. I think we'll have a whoosh right here. <laughs> So it's the late 1800s. Steam power is now coming into its own. Ships are now regularly powered with paddle wheels and propellers. And the military is right there. You know, as always, they're at the center of innovation. Interestingly, while most ships are, are powered with uh, steam engines, they still have rigging for sails. Up until, I believe in some cases, the early 1900s, they still have the ability... To use sails. Wow. Even though these are, you know, steel-hulled ships with boilers and, so, and power plants. Something tells me they would be severely gimped by running on sail power. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, we're talking multi-thousand ton iron ships and you've got <laughs> two sails. The math, the math doesn't check out on that, but the admirals were people who grew up, you know... Well, in, get, in the age of sail. They'd get somewhere just very slowly. Yeah, you'd probably die before you got there. Okay. But we digress. So As always. At the time, they didn't call them these at the time for, you know, because that would have been a little creepy, but the main battleship of the fleet was called the Pre-Dreadnought. And mm -hmm. that's because these were battleships built before the ship known as Dreadnought. And what characterized these was that they were awful. <laughs> Every aspect about them 
in our eyes, was terrible. They were slow. They had pretty bad living conditions. But interestingly, they carried a ton of guns. We're talking everything... That's, that's, the, that's the big... That's the big thing that sets these apart, is that yes. ton of guns. They had a ton of guns. There was a lot of different guns, right? Exactly. And that is the core of the pre-dreadnought problem. You have guns from, you know, small little, you know, essentially a anti-tank rifle, you know, firing a 20 millimeter shell. Small, well, little. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking naval guns. In terms now, of sir. naval warfare, it's like a handgun. I know, exactly. I'm just saying. All the way up to, you know, 12-inch guns. And everything in between would be found on these ships. I have a picture here, which we will link, of the uh, French pre-dreadnought, the Charles Martel. I, I have a question, too. Is Wasn't that one of the uh, issues that they... Uh, with storing the ammo for so many different yes. types of However, there was a very weapons. specific reason they had so many different types of guns. First of all, let's look at that. that it's a very interesting hull design, we should mention. it's mo You see most boats these days, they... They curve, curve down. They curve inwards toward the, wa toward the water. This kind of gets bigger as it goes down. Yeah. Yes, it's called a tumble-home design. And it's actually good for deflecting hey, hey, shells. Say that again? A tumble-home design. Tumble-home? Yes, it's actually used on the okay. modern... Uh, USS Zumwalt, the new destroyer from the Navy. And, oh, oh yeah. And that program is just going so well. I'm guessing it's so, sarcastic. Yes. About as well as the, uh, well, any other large military program right now. <laughs> exactly. But they had all these different weirdo calibers of guns because the military planners at the time were thinking, oh well, uh, huh, we have small, we have to fight small ships at close range and big ships at long range and everything in between. Well, why can't we just shoot at them with the same gun? And I don't know, maybe they talked over that guy. So, but they decided to stick all these tiny guns on them. And therein lies a problem. It's the late 1800s. There's no radar. There's no radios. There's no, there's no any kind of electronics, really, on board ships. So how do you tell how well you're shooting? You look. <laughs> it's, we're, we're, we're talking about... You know, wooden sailing ship technology here. You have a guy... With binoculars. In... Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we have a guy... At a fairly high point on the ship. Yes. We're, you know, like up there. And I'm pointing because that's probably where he'd be. Just kind of there. Maybe not too high. But... And his job is to, when the guns fire, look and see where the splash is. And then he'll yell through a tube... To tell them where to aim. And by that time, about 30 seconds has elapsed and things have changed and you miss again. And then he tells you where you missed and you, you just keep missing until you get lucky. <laughs> I have I have a, uh, I have some numbers here. I, I want to point out, for, for this episode, is, is a little different than the others if you couldn't tell already. This is the first episode where Mike has been thoroughly prepared. I mean more prepared than I've seen him for some tests. I have a paper. He has yeah. multiple papers that with yeah. highlight with highlighter marks on them and everything. The like, first time I've ever touched a highlighter. This is how did it feel? I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. That's about <laughs> correct. Anyway, All right. what were these numbers? So this is from uh, the Spanish-American War, a uh, war we fought with Spain, and uh, the U.S. Navy uh, got into a battle with the Spanish Navy uh, outside of Cuba in Santiago Harbor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> At a range of, if I'll take a look here, 
2.4 kilometers. Not 20, very, 2,400 meters. Not very far for a naval battle. The ships of the United States fired 1,300 shells and had a hit rate of 1.6%. How many shells is that? That's... Well, it's about 13. A little more than 13. Uh, okay, yeah. Math. Yeah. It's, uh... That's amazing. Yeah. It, it was pretty bad. 1.6%. 1,300 shells. We won, by the way. The Spanish, Even yeah. though the Spanish did a little better, uh, they had a hit rate of 4%. Right. How many shells did they fire, though? 530. Okay. No, that is remember. actually significantly better. Significantly quality better. over quality, apparently, everybody. So at this time, the whole idea was throw enough shit at the wall and see what sticks. That sounds like... Uh, or explodes in this case. Explodes, exactly. See, that sounds exactly like my last four years. You know, that's crazy. It sounds like my last four years. I've been all right. Okay, yeah, screw I'm you. lying. <laughs> all right, I lied. So, and this was this was the way naval battles were fought. This is how for... things were done for decades. Yeah. And then the British came along. The British And changed everything. Everything? All right, everything. you guys couldn't see it, but Mike's face was scary. So... In October of 1905, the British laid down HMS Dreadnought, and this ship did three things that changed the world. First of all, they got rid of all the crappy little gun calibers, and they stuck with one big caliber of gun, 12-inch. What, what an amazing idea. The second was, instead of using triple expansion reciprocating steam engines, they stuck steam turbines into the, into the ship. Here we go. So now your speed goes from about 13 knots, which is, I'm sure most of our listener, excuse me, I'm sure our listener can run faster than that, mm-hmm. to 21 knots, which would be the standard up until World War II. And finally, and this doesn't seem like much, but they built it in 14 months. That's and pretty impressive. That's quick. From, from the first piece of material going down to that ship being battle ready was 14 months. That's very quick. This is a time when the average was about four years. To build a ship. And this ship getting launched kicked off an arms race comparable in scale to the Cold War. Oh, Every wow. nation needed their own, they needed a lot of them, and they needed to be better than everyone else's. They also needed they to be to... built now. Exactly. And when your ship takes 14 months to build, innovation moves fast. And a lot of times, ships were launched that were already obsolete before they were put into service. Now, there, now there's, a, there's a statistic. I like that. Yes. And this continued. And this happened for about a decade. And then there was a little kerfuffle in Europe. Um, the First World War. Oh, that That's, one. Yeah, yeah. Kerfuffle. And that saw... That That's saw, overselling it a little bit. Overselling it? Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but that saw the world's largest naval power, Britain, uh, who launched the first you know, modern battleship, fight the second largest naval power, Germany. And there was never really any decisive battle. There was the Battle of Jutland, but that was inconclusive. Uh, you know, how was a battle inconclusive? Well, both sides lost ships, but no one took any kind of strategic advantage. And that was the hmm. only battle in the entire, the only, excuse me, the only major naval engagement of the whole war. Really? Really? Yes. It was, and, it, was it mainly fought on land and then in the air? I mean, you know about yes. the First World War. I don't know a lot about the First World War. 
It's it's really so, wow. it's really a topic that people overlook, but it really shaped our modern world. Oh yes. And then right after, right after the First World War, uh, I think we won. We won, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we won. Uh, the The Treaty of Versailles, you know, the peace treaty, gutted Germany's navy. Just a little. Just a little. And, and most of their other military assets. Exactly. And then between the wars, you know, from 1918 to 1939, it was just kind of a, a lull. There was a lot of, there's, there was a lot of uh, interesting development, uh, mainly in communications. The radio started to become, uh, start to come into wide use. However, what I would say as a mechanical engineer, as a mechanical engineer, what I would say is the biggest innovation of the interwar period was the development of mechanical fire control computers. Ooh. Mechanical computers are insanely cool, yes. and they deserve their own episode, and they're getting one. Seriously, I think we've spent uh, we spent more than more than a whole weekend just sort of diving into these things, yeah. they learning are, all about them. They so, are incredible. They're like these, they're amazing. They're, go, it's a what? device. The, the, the size, size of your washer and dryer right. on a ship that can solve these really complicated fire control problems. So the thing about mechanical computers, electrical uh, thing about mechanical computers and electrical computers, electrical computers have an infinite range theoretically. They can solve anything from infinity to negative infinity. However, they can only do this to a finite precision. And they so, you're, so you're working in no matter you can get a very good precision, but you're still working in discrete chunks. Discrete and elements. With a mechanical computer, computer. everything's continuous. You, yeah. you, an input goes in, an output comes out instantaneously. It's, it takes it takes zero time to get an, input, an output from that. You change one input, the output changes almost immediately, accounting for... Everything. You know, a, well, no, accounting for... Not accounting for, uh, you know, the speed that the push can travel through the material. It's essentially <laughs> instantaneous. For all intensive yeah. corpuses. <laughs> it is instantaneous. <laughs> Alright, um, all right, everybody say hello to Josh's last episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, what, so our next episode will be all about mechanical computers. It's, it's and I really may or may not be there. But the basics <laughs> is... Is it's mechanically solving very complex problems, and outputs are obtained almost instantaneously. And go, Mike. Well, so if any of our listeners are engineers, imagine just the most complicated vector problem you can think of. I don't know, unless you work in some industry and you have some ridiculous problem, in which case I'm not talking to you. But if you're an engineering student, think of the most ridiculous vector problem and multiply that by about a thousand, and you're looking at the fire control problems faced by oh, naval bad. engineers. So, these computers were developed, and the United States was really on the cutting edge of these um, uh, throughout their design. And then, uh, in, ooh, ooh. In, on September 1st of 1939, um guy with the mustache was uh, Hitler... Hitler. Um, <laughs> oh, that mustache. Uh, yeah. Kicks off the Second World War by invading Poland. And now this is going to be a little different than the First World War for many reasons. Many, many reasons. However, another... Like three. At least. Maybe four. Ooh. 
But one of the major changes was the way naval warfare was fought. There were never really any battleship on battleship fights, uh, except for a few. Uh, there was a fight between the German battleship Bismarck and uh, ships of the Royal Navy, and uh, some engagements in the Mediterranean, etc., etc. However, in this time, the United States took the lead in battleship development. They designed what we now call fast battleships. These are massive ships, like the New Jersey, like the Iowa class, which can move at 30 knots, which is almost twice as fast as you can run. And <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, that's something. How many tons moving that quickly? There are several tens of thousands of tons. Tens of, of, of steel just chugging along on the ocean. Think about the kinetic Power energy. The whole, the whole purpose of a battleship, which is when you boil it down, is to bring the biggest guns you possibly can to fire at the other really big guns. It's interesting you should say that. Now, I have here some numbers. Now, before we I was talking about the uh, oh, Battle boy. of Santiago. I love numbers. 2.4 kilometers, you know, these ships pew-pewing at each other. Mm-hmm. So, here's an example of the kind of gun that a U.S. ship would have. It's a 12-inch gun, so it's, it's a foot in diameter. Okay, that's, the, and, that's the bore, by the way, not the barrel out of diameter. Yes. And it's firing an 870-pound shell at uh, 2,100 feet per second. And it can shoot out to about 19 kilometers, but if your hit, good. If your hit rate at 2.4 kilometers is 1.6%, what do you think they're doing at 19 kilometers? Probably, Probably like around 30%? You can't even... I'm pretty sure you can't see that far. Yeah, so now... Depending on your height compared to the ship. It, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. But like you said, some new electronics started to come into play and no. new technologies. Mechanics. This, this was... Yeah, we're, we're talking about the, the pre-dreadnought now. Now I'm going to read you some numbers about the... Oh, Iowa-class battleships. The pre-dreadnought, right. Perhaps the coolest, and by far the, the what I would, I would I, I'm going to say, the greatest battleship gun ever used. The 16-inch, 50-caliber rifles found on the Iowa-class. Now, what, when, you talk, when you talk about a naval gun, 50-caliber does not mean what it means for firearms. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, Has, those two statements cal- are cal- not Caliber has two meanings. Uh, the first is, in, usually in reference to small arms, is it's a reference to the diameter of the projectile. So a 50 caliber is normally it's, half an inch. When half people an say inch, 50 yes. caliber, it's .50 caliber yes. for a firearm. Yeah. Now, for a naval gun, there's no point. No. They're, you're using <laughs> inches and centimeters. So um, caliber refers to the length of the gun relative to its diameter. So a caliber is equal to one diameter. So when I say it's a 50 caliber 16-inch gun... 50-foot-long gun? No, it's 50 times... Well, yeah, it's it's more than 50 feet. <laughs> it's 50, oh, 16-inch, right. 50 times 16 inches. So four times <clears throat> 20... So here are some comparative numbers. 2,700-pound shell. Here we go. <laughs> Now you're, fire, now you're firing over a sedans. Ton. You're, you're, you're firing a small compact car. <laughs> it's, it's not a small car. It's not a small car. <laughs> you're firing it at 2,500 feet per second. Okay, that's yeah, pretty, kind of comparable. What are those shells made of? Uh, steel. Those they're, are they're just they steel are steel with a, uh, with a bursting charge in the middle. Okay. With a fuse. So, 2,500 feet per second. <clears throat> 
range. Now we get to the range. Here's the fun numbers. So, at 45 degrees elevation, this gun can fire a 2,700-pound shell to 38.7 kilometers. What's the horizon? A lot about, less than that. It's about yeah. five about it five miles. It is a lot miles. less than that. Now, you remember the accuracy numbers? From 1.3% on this, uh, on uh, using a firing system which consists of a guy who might have binoculars saying a little to the left. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, the, the old Mark One eyeball. Uh, 1.6% like at 2.4 kilometers. <clears throat> the accuracy expected from these guns was 32.7% at 9 kilometers. I called that. I said 33%. Yep. Not and too bad. even and even out to uh. eighteen and a quarter kilometers, you're still looking at ten and a half percent. That's ridiculous. That's not too bad when you're when you're lobbing a car-sized chunk of steel or a car a car-sized chunk of steel from a moving platform trying to hit another moving platform. At maximum range, it takes not too bad. At maximum range, it takes eighty seconds for that shell from the moment it leaves the barrel. To when it impacts, especially <laughs> also especially when your um or when your reloading mechanism doesn't consist of two people going eh. <laughs> well, you know what? It's not too far off though. It actually was two people and a third guy operating a ram, like a mechanical. Yeah, mechanical but it, ram. it looked yeah. this way. The fi- but they were lo- they had automatic loaders, right? Well, Autom- automatic a, in a, quotes. You had a you had a rammer. Yeah, but it was way faster than just trying to put it in and close the way breach Way faster itself. than as you put it. Eh. Yeah. That's that's right. kind of what they did pre-Dreadnought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of manhandling it. So, you know, you, there. you know, those hundred shots to get a hit took five days, whereas now it took 20 minutes. Now, th- that gun could get uh, two rounds per minute, approximately. With a well-trained crew, you could probably get maybe Three. a little better. A little better than that? A little better than that. Um, two and change. Yeah, something like that. But it, when you're moving around, uh, when you're moving around high explosives and extremely flammable propellant bags, maybe maybe well, that's wait right a because you're you, you've got what are they hundred pound bags of black powder basically? No, not black powder. More volatile, what more they volatile using? propellants. Well, the British British use cordite in the first oh, that's World right. War. Um, I was gonna say something to the effect of haste makes waste, but it's more. Haste oh, makes a massive. Just so you guys know, in the breach, uh, something they may not, they might I don't know the way a battleship. So the way a conventional gun works is you have the sh- you have the shell and the actual bullet, and they're encasing with powder in between. No, on a battleship, it works. You just put the round in the barrel and then throw bags of propellant behind it, and then close the breach. And you then see, when, when pop you... it with. Didn't they use like twenty two caliber blanks to pop them? I, I don't know. That's I don't it. know exactly. I think that but, uh, on the I, when I took the firepower tour on the New Jersey battleship, I'm pretty sure the actual firing pin struck something like a 22 cal blank. Yeah, they so only use 22 caliber. It's blanks. enough. It's enough to light the bag. I, I think that's spark. more of an indication of how volatile these propellants are that it only takes a 22 to set it off. Now, <laughs> yeah, there's think. now these lessons, unfortunately, were learned the hard way. Now, I mentioned mm-hmm. before in World War One the Battle of Jutland. Well, the British Navy, they, they kind of made a different kind of ship called a battle cruiser. And what that is, it says, hey, we're going to remove a lot of armor, and then we're going to make it a little faster. So, the British, 
prided themselves on their gunnery skills. You know, crews took it as a as a badge of honor, you know, how quickly they can get these guns firing. Okay. So, they would practice and practice and practice. However, they found that in the bowels of their turrets, that the bulkheads, which separated magazines from the rest of the turret, were slowing them down Uh-oh. in terms of getting the highly explosive powder out. Oh, no. So they would pre-pack the turrets with propellant where they're not supposed to be stored. You know, Literally just, just stacking line it up, them, against line the them up against the wall. And this is fine when you're trying to say you're better than the other ship in terms of rate of fire, but when you're at the Battle of Jutland... And a German 11-inch battleship shell pierces your armor and hits the turret, it sets it off. A lot. All of it. Yeah. And the British lost, I believe, four battlecruisers that day in that manner. And the reason the reason those ships were able to be penetrated is because they had no armor. However, when you have an Iowa-class 16-inch gun-armed battleship, it doesn't matter if they have armor. I have some numbers here. My favorite kind of thing. So, at a range of 5,000 yards, or about 4.5 kilometers, okay. these 16-inch armor-piercing shells fired by an Iowa class can pierce 29 inches of steel-hardened armor. Solid, solid, solid hardened steel. Solid, That's hardened. over 2 feet of armor. That is over Just 2 feet of armor. Not many things use that, especially at Nothing the time the Iowa, was, the Iowas were built. No, right? but it's nice to have the capability. The only th- what has the only well, thing I know on, with two feet of armor is the Montana class, which is never built. I uh, right the the Japanese Yamato class super battleships had I don't think it was two feet of armor, but they had at least a foot of armor around uh, around their citadel. And uh, after the war, we actually took a chunk of that and fired one of these guns at it, and it went through like a hot knife through butter. Uh, I a mean, citadel. Citadel. A and citadel there, there is a picture of that that piece of armor, and oh, yeah? we'll we'll put that in the uh, in the description below this podcast, so nice. you can take a look at that. It the, is something to see. I want I want to mention quick the the citadel for those who don't know is the area of the battleship beneath. The turret where the magazines are, where all the where all the propellant and uh, shells are kept. All the stuff you don't want to get hit. It's like we're, it's like wearing an athletic cup in a sport. You keep you protect what's important. You protect the important parts. All right, so yeah, two two feet of two feet of armor penetration. That that over excuse me over two feet. That's uh that seems a bit ridiculous, but I do have to admit it drops off with range, as you would expect. Nope, shell slowed down. Yeah. yeah. So let's look at 32, uh, 32 kilometers. That's a big jump. Yeah, we're going from four and a half to thirty-two kilometers, and I mean, it's only thirteen inches of armor penetration at that range. Isn't that closer to the average armor thickness at that time? Yes. Jesus. There we go. So. It really doesn't matter what range you're at. That thing gonna get you. <laughs> well, just, if, just if it can hit you. Tell them. Which we know it can. Yeah. About 10% Thir- of the time. 10 to 30% of the time, depending on the range. Well, you know, that's per gun. And you've got nine of them on an Iowa. Boom, 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 And boom, you boom, have boom. very similar guns on the North Carolina and <laughs> South Dakota classes. And uh, if Montana was ever built, you'd have 12 of them. So Jeez. Why did they never build the Montana? Too expensive, right? Too expensive. They didn't need them anymore. 
Yeah, ship warfare's changed so. Yeah, Warship World War Two so was really the end of the battleship as we know it. After that, aircraft carriers came along. All things considered, the battleship was a fairly short-lived. Yeah, piece of the uh, modern battleship. Yeah, piece, Never, piece of well, mainly because aircraft, basically aircraft, became so advanced Naval yes. that they could just euro and bombs. However, battleships of the Iowa class, including the New Jersey, were reactivated. In in the 1970s and also the early 1990s for the Vietnam and first Gulf Wars. Okay. Did the Viet, did, the, did Vietnam the the Vietnamese like, Viet- the North North Vietnam did not have a navy. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. They had a navy. The combined displacement of their ships was less than one Iowa class battleship. Was, they had rubber <laughs> dinghies and machine guns, right? Pretty, pretty much patrol boats, that sort of thing. <laughs> It, but, remind, uh, it reminds yes, me uh, of a of a modern supercarrier group. Oh, how my. how how a modern U.S. supercarrier group is 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 a is a suitable match for most countries' entire militaries. Yes, it's actually quite terrifying. Well, what did you tell me at one point? Sorry, different naval thing, but there are three people that can end the world at any given time. I I don't know who said this quote. But there are three people who can end the world at any given time. The President of the United States, the President of, uh, well, at the time, uh, the Soviet Union, and the Commander of a United States Ballistic Missile Submarine. Or now any, any particular one? Pretty much. Pretty much any of them, right? <laughs> you know, the, the whole command and control system is kept secret, but one would have to imagine they'd have the ability to launch their own missiles. I thought I thought that has to be approved by like the president. It has to be approved. Let me put it this way. Thank God for psychological screening. Ah, it doesn't matter if anything's approved. If they still have the big red button down there. They do. That's I didn't actually, think uh, I didn't think that's how command and control works. It's actually a firing trigger. It's a trigger. It's a it's a yeah it's a trigger. Huh. Yeah, you know, it's a thing. It's it's the same thing on the uh, battleships with the firing the guns. They have the they have these pistol grips mounted on tables that you. Just Seriously, that's, that's got to be so satisfying. Oh my! I'd love to How do you get that job? The opportunity. Military the service. opportunity. <laughs> honestly, if anyone somehow manages to get enough money to buy an old battleship, fix it up to the and bring it out to the point where they where they buy a large chunk of ocean, and set it up so normal people <laughs> can just come and fire shells out into nothing, <laughs> I'd be on that. Also, invite us because we gave you the idea. Yes, and we'll bring gifts of branded merchandise. Do we have any branded merchandise? I mean, we, can, we can get we can, some. We can make it up. If they're going to invite us, we'll make some branded merchandise. We'll make some branded, we'll merchandise. Make some branded merchandise for you. What do you like? Uh, mugs? Mouse pads? Uh, armchairs? Armchair. And Literally anything you want. Just yeah, a whole, a whole down the wormhole armchair. It's for, it's for all the BS no, you do. If, if, while if, you... No, if you're going to make a down the wormhole <laughs> chair, it's got to be one of those terrible bungee cord ones. That's fair. That's or, fair. Or, or maybe one of those really ugly bubble chairs. No, it, no it's got to be one of those bungee chairs. It's just like our program. <laughs> you look at it and it seems really inviting, but once you use it, it's awful. And you realize you're sitting on the floor and you're very uncomfortable. It's exactly I think the analogy breaks show. down a little, but no, you know... No, you know, no, I believe it holds... Perfectly. The All analogy right, broke down, but Mama Mills didn't raise no quitters. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I think on that bombshell, 
We're going to call it for today. And, and we'd like to thank Josh especially, seeing yeah. as this will be his last episode After that for last making pun. such terrible puns. That wasn't a pun, that was a reference. That was a pun, and it was terrible. Fine, I can see. Reference. What are you going to reference? It's just a pun. You know, you know what? We're going to call it here for today. Yeah. Thank what? you very much, listener. We hope you'll come back. And if you know, if you don't, we understand. And if so, we're so sorry. Once again, my name is Joshua Weinberg. I'm Zachary Miller. I'm Mike Bertinski. Have a great night.